singing. I was totally singing. Everyone was singing. Okay, kids, obviously, I've already left with my wife. We'll see you later. Adios, amigos. So here we are. Ian's got to go. Oh, Ian. Okay. All right. No, you're you're over 21 now, so it's time to get out of Sunday school and come grow up in the the big kids' room. <laughs> We're still kids. Make no mistake. Children of God. How about that? And so, continuing in Esther, I feel a little bit uh, that it gets semi redundant in this part. Uh, this is all about faith, remember, as we started the year and everything else. This is about God's providence. This is about trusting Him. And today's sermon, very topically, is about entrusting our lives to the Lord. And so, right or wrong, here is where we're at. Okay? And I hope we can make the most of this situation when we're together. So there is a lot to talk about, a lot to ponder and consider. The, the, the danger of this text, as always, is that I could easily slip into a lot of morality on y'all. We can, we can easily, like, here's some more legalism for you. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> like, but we always want to know that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone that we find ourselves here. None of us have earned our positions in the kingdom of heaven. It's impossible to do. And so remember that as we talk certainly about God's grace. So dear Heavenly Father, as always, I thank you for all the blessings in our lives, especially those that we fail to see. And so as we talk about your providence, this is one of those things that we typically struggle and fail to see is your righteous right hand still moving and working in our lives. And so, Lord Jesus, as we approach your word today, tune our hearts and our minds to your will. May you edify us, teach us well in your ways that we may be able to lead lives for your glory and ultimately our good. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, before we even get to the text, always the basics. I want to remind us, as I was just reminding us again, that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And that's what Esther is about, hope, that God still cares for his people. The fascinating thing about this book, there's no mention of God. There's no prayer. There's no temple. There's no worship of any kind, just people and circumstances. And here we are, and we find ourselves here which is why the very first point is appropriately titled, right or wrong, here is where we are. Because what got us here is exactly that. It's just what got us here to this moment in time. But we talk about that providence again. And so the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible describes it as this, God's activity throughout history in providing for the needs of human beings, especially those who follow him in faith. It is the evidence that God has not left this planet alone in the vast universe or forgotten for a moment the human situation. God visits, touches, communicates, controls, and intervenes, coming before and between man and his needs. And providence is a major grounds for thankfulness. 
It is what helps us develop a heart of gratitude rather than our nature and our hearts of greed. So we also know that for those that love God, all things work together for good for those that are called according to his purpose. And that's a great segue. Let's talk about Esther. <laughs> so Esther chapter 2, verse 12 through 18 reads this way. Now when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ahasuerus after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women. When the young woman went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in, and in the morning, she would return to the second harem in custody of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus in his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces, and gave gifts with royal generosity. Amen. That's, that's the word of the Lord. <laughs> so, as we begin this, I want you to know that, yes, I break this up into points, but many times this just doesn't need to be broken up into points. But I do want you to see the two sides, and especially how this is working together. The very first point uh, while certainly entitled right or wrong, here is where we're at, it's explanatory point, if you will. It tells you about what the process is and was for the concubines to go and to meet the king. And that's one heck of a process. <laughs> one that I'm like, would anybody still do something like that today? Does that, I don't know. You think about it, again, sin is always the same, it's just packaged differently. And so maybe with all the uh, Botox and facelifts and all the other stuff, that would be along kind of those same lines in a sense of thinking and mentality. But don't mess up the point here, Eric, because I'm getting in my own way. Accepting the facts or being offended, emotionally upset by them. I find that that's where we all stand. I find that we all have that option and opportunity, if you will, to be like, okay, this is where I'm at. These are the facts. I need to deal with it. Or these are the facts. I don't like the facts. I don't want to deal with these facts. I want different facts. Lord, change those facts. Somebody change them for me. I don't want to deal with it. And a lot of times we do get emotionally upset 
And so even last week, as, uh, you know, certainly these aren't the easiest discussions to talk about. They uh, hit home for some people. Nobody in this room, but I know of someone who, who was offended. And I'm like, oh, that's terrible. That's never my goal to offend anybody. I am a truth sayer. I'm going to tell you God's word to the absolute truth or to the best of, of my ability. But the problem is, is that we as human beings do this thing called we assume and we have assumptions. And I want to give you case in point. Yesterday, I sent out a text. I sent out a text telling you that the meeting was canceled. Did I give you a reason why the meeting was canceled? How many of you think it was canceled because of the weather? Okay, you're all wrong. No. No, it wasn't simply because of the weather. It was actually a conglomerate of annoying little things. Uh, I'm not going to go into the details because it doesn't matter. Like Chris said, and I appreciate that, brother, because it doesn't matter why it was canceled, ultimately, like it got canceled. We have to deal with it. We have to move on from that point. And so I was a little bit out of shape, though. I was like, this sucks. I've been planning for it for like five weeks. I've had this done. I sent out surveys. We did all this junk. And now I don't get to do it now. This is terrible. And there's a little bit of rage in there, right? Because it's just like, why? Why, 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 why? <clears throat> and in the end, it didn't happen. Regardless of how many times I played that ridiculous game, I should have done this or I could have done that. If only I would have done blah, blah, blah. That doesn't change the fact. There's too many variables. It wasn't on me and it wasn't on any one person, let alone it wasn't on God and the weather. I mean, we live in Illinois for Pete's sake. That was chump change yesterday in comparison to what we've, we've done and we've dealt with, right? But it's still frustrating because these were my plans. These were my intentions. We need to do this. But in the end, it's still going to be okay. And I think we need to remember that for our lives too, especially as we're here on earth, that there's going to be a lot of things that we're not happy about that happen. But at the same time, are we going to let them emotionally destroy us or are we going to accept the facts and move on with our life? Now, another thing that has been just kind of twirling around in my brain, I remember very, very just succinctly and distinctly uh, going to a motivational speaker when I worked for Experian National Credit Bureau out in California. And the guy was certainly encouraging. I really don't remember anything that he said that was really, but in that moment, you're like, yeah! Yeah, yeah, and you just kind of kept doing that. But what really stuck out to me, and I think this is, is words of wisdom, is that whether we're on the peaks or we're, we're in the valley of despair, keep moving. Keep moving. We'd like it to be a sightseeing tour. And, and so I remember him very saying this, like, if you're going through hell, don't stop and look around. Keep running. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Now, this was long before I was a Christian, too. But at the very same time, what great words of, of simple wisdom that is. That, like, if you're going through hell, keep running. But how many times when bad things happen, do we clam up, we shelter up, and we just kind of sit there and, and are like, I don't know what to do. 
I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to cry myself to sleep tonight. I think we've all been there and have all done something to that effect, very much so. And so to bring it back to, to the text and where we're at, I want you to see this and I want you to know this too because it was really like, how can the word of God say such things? How can the word of God talk about this? And I'm like, man, praise the word of God because he does talk about these things as if it's all taboo or something like that. But let me ask you this. Is the author glorifying the bad behavior? Is he saying, this is great. You all should totally like sleep around, get wasted every night, be uninhibited, pomp your glories all around. You should do that. No, the author's not doing that. But at the same time, is the author condemning the bad behavior? No. The author's not condemning it either. He's accepting it as facts, and this is where we're at. And as human beings, this type of junk continually happens on a day-to-day, minute-to-minute type of basis all around us. You have people behaving poorly. (laughs) If you ever want to see that, just turn on some TV reality show or whatever, and man, you want to watch people behaving poorly. (laughs) It's very funny. I find it amusing myself, but that's besides the point. So... The author, which is unknown, which I'm just going to go with, is the Holy Spirit and God, because all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This is one of my favorite things about the Bible and God's Word, is God's truth and love are like this. They go hand in hand. God doesn't mislead me. He doesn't pretend that it's something else. And in fact, when I read these things, I'm like, yeah, we need a savior. <laughs> like, because there's no escaping the wickedness or the depravity of man. We all have it and we all deal with it in us. Like, as Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount, you just think improperly about people and you've committed adultery with them. If you hate somebody, that's the same as murdering them. So while I may not physically have done it, I've still thought about it. Still thought many wicked thoughts against many wicked people because that's my sense of righteousness and that's my sense of justice. But right or wrong, here is where we're at and God's truth is God's truth. Whether people want to deny just how wicked people are, that's all them. And, and I can agree, like, this isn't something, oh, we need to talk about wickedness all the time. Like, that's not the answer either, is it? Because we don't need to deal with that. And in fact, we can choose joy. It's always a choice. Much like we can choose to accept the facts, or we can choose to be upset or hurt by these facts. And so... You know, right or wrong, here's where we are. Let's face the facts, too, that life is not neat and tidy. I'm always disturbed by those that are always painting the sunshine and rainbows, and I'm like, why are you lying to people? Everybody knows that life is not sunshine and rainbows all the time. Yes, there are peaks, and yes, when we get to those peaks, we do want to stay there, but we keep moving. And whether you really want to move or not want to move, you're going to move regardless because that's how this life works. We keep moving. And so right and wrong, many times and in many ways, 
can become cloudy and hard to decipher. It's almost like picking the worst of two evils, or what is the better of the two evils. I think I'm going to lose either way, but what would be the right way? What would be the godly way or the righteous way? Now, praise be to God that we have that knowledge and that opportunity and that we can always turn to the Lord in prayer and understanding, but understand that the vast majority of people on this planet do not have God and are left to their own inhibitions. They have no objective truth. Everything is subjective to their own experiences and their own circumstances. And so we all... Every one of us, no one's excluded, have made those difficult decisions in our lives, whether they're right or wrong, and then we deal with those consequences. It's where we're at. It's the truth. It's how we live our lives every day. But praise be to God in this, and especially in the first point, for his forgiveness, for his faithfulness, and for his chesed, which is his steadfast love, which is his covenant commitment. Going back throughout all of the centuries, that God will still see a people through and will still create a people for his own possession, a holy nation and a royal priesthood, that despite our faithlessness at times and despite us making ungodly decisions at times, that he still cares, and he still loves, and he's going to continue his promise to his covenant people. And oh, to walk in his wisdom and blessings, as opposed to walk in our own self-depraved sin. What a difference. What a joy that is. What a hard decision that can be at times during the day. But right or wrong, ultimately, brothers and sisters, here's where we are. Much like yesterday's thing. It was annoying as all get out, but you got to deal with it. And that's just something small. You know, that's, that's an insignificant thing. What happens when it comes between the life of a baby and the life of a mother? And how can you make that decision for someone else? Think about it. It's tough stuff. But Esther... And her story continues to show that whether right or wrong, I mean, she's gone into the palace as a concubine. I got half the room probably saying, well, that's a good idea. I got the other half of the room being like, that's a terrible idea. And maybe some people in between like, well, it's kind of good. It's kind of bad. I need more facts. But you don't get more facts. This is all that you get is that she's there. So you must deal with it where it's at. So, making the most of the situation, it ties into the same thing. And as you read Esther's story, it doesn't say whether she wants to be there or doesn't want to be there. There's no emotion in this. Again, it's just facts. This is where she's at in her life. And now, four years have passed since, like, last week to this week, four years have passed. Right? That's why the weather's so weird. We've got four years compacted into, oh, no, no, no. I'm saying in the story and the storyline, of course, four years ultimately have passed. And a year of grooming 
six months of oil and six months of spices? I'm like, that would make a pretty good brine. Sorry. Bad Joe. <laughs> but in those four years, let's think about you know the possibilities of what could have happened in Esther's life. But the only one that ultimately matters, because we like to assume, we like to fill in the gaps with relevant information, but there's no relevant information to fill the gaps in. But I will say this, she learned to trust Haggai in those four years. Now, I think that's wise in this. The king's eunuch, the one who's in charge of all the maidens, the one who probably knows the king better than the concubines, might be wise to listen to him. Certainly always take it with a grain of salt and use discernment in all of our situations, but let us never be naive and let us never condemn. At the same time, let us always land in the middle and use discernment to sift out that truth, if you will. And so you see that this was great for her. <laughs> She's queen now. She has pleased the king. She was taken to him. She only took what Haggai suggested, and the king was smitten. And in fact, you see verse 18, was really 17 and 18. The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. But that wasn't enough. He went further. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants, and it was Esther's feast. And he also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. What an amazing turn of events. I'm not entirely sure what Esther did, and I suppose it doesn't matter in the end, but the king is clearly head over heels for her. And what a role reversal, giving money and gifts away rather than taking the money from the people and giving it to the king himself or his queen, newly appointed. How amazing is that? And I think that is where we find God's providence and the gospel of grace to be found in this passage and to continue to point to Jesus. Track with me here. Stay close. So last week, Esther grew in favor with Haggai. Okay? She pleased him. He's a eunuch. We know it wasn't sexual. So he liked her. She grew in favor with him. He gave her her cosmetics, gave her seven young maidens to help support her, follow her around, gave her food, gave her the best place in the harem. Awesome. She grew in favor with him. It says here in verse 15, at the end of it, right before 16, now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And then you go two more verses. The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the others. There's two more times that this type of scenario happens in Scripture. The next one, 
1 Samuel chapter 2. Maybe you know the story of Hannah and Samuel. Maybe you know how Hannah was barren and really, really wanted children and prayed to God and said, if I have a child, I will give him to you. This happens in the first two chapters in 1 Samuel, and it culminates in verse 26 of the second chapter of Samuel, where it says, Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Pretty amazing, especially if you know that story and how Hannah gave him up and how Samuel was just with Eli and Hannah visited Samuel, once a year on his birthday, and gave him a coat or something to wear. It's a beautiful little story. Now, the next time this happens, happens in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, where we get the story of 12-year-old boy Jesus, who stays behind at the temple, and he's like, how could you not know I needed to be at my father's house? And the story happening in chapter 2, verses 41 to 52, culminates in this point. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Three times. Three times this happens. You got it in Esther, you got it in Samuel, you have it in Luke. Three very different people, but the same God caring for his people. So it brings up the question, what is this favor? What is this grace? How do I get me some of that? <laughs> Can I put it in a jar and save it for later? No, those aren't the questions. The questions and what to think about is, are we different? Has God ultimately changed us? Are we able to make the most of the situation? Well, how do people see us in Christ? I want to take you one more place. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. These are some of my favorite verses because it explains a lot of why people notice that you're different. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always, let me stress that, always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us, so he leads us, and then through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we... We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, it is a fragrance of death to death. Yet to the other, it is a fragrance of life to life. But who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many others, peddlers of God's word. 
but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Amen. It's part of the calling, if you will. And it does bring a little emotion because God's chosen us for this. Of all the people in all the world, for whatever reason, because we don't know, but right or wrong, here is where we're at. Right? And now we're here, and we're in this, and we're struggling, and we're learning, and we're growing in grace and in love by God. But to see and to go back, especially to Esther, oh, I should probably tell you this too. It makes sense, the death to death and the life to life, because there is newness of life in Christ, but it's also the reality that you're not good enough in Christ. And so depending on how the people look at it is depending on how the people look at you. So understand that if people don't like you, that's probably pretty normal, unless you're obnoxious. That's another story. <laughs> but being in Christ, of course, like it's a reminder of their failures and how they don't measure up. But they miss the mark of how they need a Savior. And so as Esther continues to point out, no one meets God's standards or God's quality, very simply. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. The victory is ours. Whether we are in the valley, still victorious. Understand that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because of God's great love that's been poured into us. God's truth for life and God's love go hand in hand. There's no smoke screens, mirrors. There's no false promises. There's just the real, truthful promises of God. And so praise the Lord, certainly, for his providence and his working in our lives by his grace, the unmerited favor. I mean, Esther, she was an orphan, right? She was raised by a very old man, probably not too hip to the jive. You know what that means. And so very different culturally back then, very different all around. And yet God continued to allow her to grow in favor among those around them. Just like God's prophet Samuel continued to grow in favor. Just like God's son Jesus continued to grow in favor among God and among men. And that, while not Biblically written is also part of our story. I look at it, especially as a church planter, that's very much that same way. Stay the path, man. Stay the path. Enjoy the blessings. But I can't tell you how many times temptation tries to snake me away and get me frustrated because we can't have a meeting for a VBS in July, in March. Right? And how this is ridiculous and I don't care anymore. And it's like, that's, that's silly. That's absurd. But there's so many more things, too. I've kept it very light and hopefully lighthearted. So because God is, and there's a whole slew and a list of words, 
But we can entrust our Creator with our lives. Whether right or wrong, choices have been made. Whether right or wrong, you made them. Now you got to deal with them, whether you want to or not. And much like that motivational speech, if you're going through hell, keep running. Don't stop. It's not a sightseeing tour. It's not where you want to be, right? So keep moving. Keep going forward. And so whether right or wrong, those choices have been made, and we can certainly make the best of the moment, knowing our Lord and trusting our Lord, confiding in our Lord, talking with our Lord through prayer, and of course, applying the knowledge that we get through the scriptures, through the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, that we have that hope that wherever we find ourselves, it's only going to get better. It's only going to keep moving. And so, walking in his blessings and his grace. And so, we see that. And hopefully, this morning, that's landed well and impactful, that we can indeed entrust our lives to the Lord, whether good, bad, indifferent, right, wrong, you name it. Our God is for us. He is with us. And as 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, and I exclaim and proclaim myself, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, certainly I always thank you for your word and I thank you for uh, your grace in our lives, that unmerited favor that none of us have earned and none of us deserved, but yet you still give it despite our waywardness and despite our faithlessness at times. You still remain faithful. You are the great God of the Old Testament and the covenants, and you keep those covenants and your promises. You do not lie to us, and your truth is solid gold to an ailing spirit. And so, Lord Jesus, continue to uh, invest in us your grace, and may we continue to be used for your glory and our good until that day that we are finally with you back together again. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.